spiritual warfare. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 10, although the text will be taken from verse 14, because some of you might, might not have been here for the beginning of the series, and so you're just kind of at a loss for what we're doing and what we're talking about. And so this certainly explains it, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, Paul is in a Roman prison cell. A lesser man would have thought my life is over. There's no reason for me to even try anymore. I'm locked up here as a prisoner, and yet God used him. And he's writing to a church, a church that he had great love for, the church at Ephesus. And as he ends the letter here, he says, finally. And what he says is something very important. My brethren, so he's writing to Christian people. It's not like it's a letter to the unsaved world, even though it contains information that the whole world needs to hear. But he's writing to Christians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because of that, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, Having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Last week we spoke about the girdle of truth and today we're speaking about the breastplate of righteousness. And every Roman soldier considered the breastplate to be an indispensable part of his armor. I mean, this is something that you just can't leave home without and they wouldn't think about going into battle without the breastplate and there were many different types some of them were made of double layered leather and so on and so forth but the most common the historians tell us is a molded metal breastplate that covered the torso all the way from the neck down to the upper part of, of the thighs and it was designed to protect the the organs the inner organs from a fatal wound a spear, an arrow, a knife, or anything could easily uh, kill a person. And the breastplate is what protected him. So Paul tells us that what the breastplate was to the soldier, righteousness is to the saint. To the child of God, that breastplate of armor that protected them, protected their very lives, Righteousness is for the same purpose in our life. And maybe the best way to deal with this is to ask some questions. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. So I don't have three points in a poem, but I have three questions that I want to ask and hopefully answer. First of all, what is it? When we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, you know, uh, what, what does Paul mean by righteousness? There are three options, by the way, and if you don't listen to the rest of the message, this first part is really important because if you don't listen, 
you're going to miss it. And it's kind of, might be kind of difficult for some folks to wade through, not because you're ignorant, but because you might hear some things, some terminology that you haven't heard before. The first option for righteousness would be imagined. That's what we would call self-righteous. The Pharisees, for example, they imagined that they were righteous when, when, when there wasn't. A lot of people today, they imagine the same thing. They think that they are righteous because of the fact that maybe they're very religious. They stick to strict tradition or whatever it is. So this is just an imagination. That's certainly not what Paul is talking about here. Because the Bible teaches us that none of us have any righteousness. We all come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So he couldn't be talking about that, could he? But there's another option here, and that is what is known as imputed righteousness. And there are those that claim that this is what he's talking about here. That word imputed has to do, it means to give to or attribute to or to place to one's account. For example, if someone decided, well, I'm going to put $10,000 in your bank account, that, that would become yours. It, it wasn't yours in the strictest sense at all because you were flat dab broke. You didn't have any money. But when somebody imputes that to you, all of a sudden you have the advantage of being able to use something that, that never was yours. And and whenever you receive Christ as your Savior, this is exactly what happens. That God imputes the righteousness of Christ to you. And it simply means that uh, in what is known as the judicial reckoning of God, that is, God as the judge of the universe, as He looks at you, although you are as sinful as you can be, have no righteousness of your own, God looks at you as though you're wrapped in the robe of the righteousness of His own dear sinless Son. Isn't that the wonderful thing about salvation is? By the way, none of us are perfect even after we're saved. But in the reckoning of God, He considers us to be. That's why the old song says, The record's clear today, for He washed my sins away. The old account was settled long ago. Oh, thank God for that. That there is nothing against me whatsoever because I've received Christ as my Savior. Now, that's one option, but that can't be the option that Paul has in mind in talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And I say that for three reasons, because this is something that God does for us. It's not something that we can do for ourselves. And he's saying, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. This kind of, this imputed righteousness, I can't do that. It's impossible. It'd be like saying, I don't need Christ, you know, but I can do this on my own. Secondly, this is something that never changes. You can put it on and you can take it off. The breastplate, but salvation that is imputed to us remains the same. By the way, even the imputed righteousness does not guarantee constant victory in our life. 
because many of the greatest saints that have ever lived have fallen flat on their face. They've sinned grievously. So, so Paul has to be talking about something else. He's not talking about righteousness that is imagined. He's not talking about righteousness that has been imputed to us. So he must be talking about what the old time preachers many years ago called imparted righteousness. It's strange that you never hear that terminology from any preachers today. and We've lost sight of something that's extremely important. Uh, over in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is speaking about doing the will of God. And he said, God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And we talk about this matter of righteousness we would describe it as a quality of righteous living that is the result of God working in us and through us. It's a quality of living our life in accordance to God's will. Imputed righteousness is entirely a work of God from beginning to end. But when it comes to this imparted righteousness, there's something demanded from us and that's what Paul had in mind over in Philippians chapter number 3. In fact, let me just take time to read some verses from that. Philippians chapter number 3. I'm going to begin in verse number 10. He says that I may know him. Now remember, Paul is the, this great apostle. He already knows him in the sense of saving faith. So what is he talking about? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend, that is to be captured as it were, that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have, have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Here it is. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul is talking about what he is doing as a Christian, and the purpose behind it all is that he, as a Christian, might become more and more and more Christ-like. And so we're talking about, when we say imparted righteousness, we're talking about what God does as we yield ourselves to him. That's the idea in Galatians 5, verse number 16. He says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 6.18 says, Being then made free from sin, you became what? Servants of righteousness. That's the righteousness that he's talking about when he says, Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now that brings up the second question then, How do we put it on? You know, being considered righteous in God's sight, that's one thing, that's the main thing, that's where the new birth occurs. That's where we receive eternal life. That's the main thing. That is the imputed righteousness. But the imparted righteousness is something entirely 
different. The first has to do with my standing before God. The second has to do with my state in this world. That is my actual state where I'm at. And believe me, there's none of us, none of us have reached full perfection when it comes to our relationship with Christ. That's why there's always room for growth in the life of a Christian. We never get to the point that we can say, wow, it's been a it's been a hard road to hold, but, but I, I finally made it. I've, I've got there. There are folks that believe that. They believe in what is known as sinless perfection. You know, that if we try hard enough, pray long enough, if we're really sincere in what we're doing, that finally we can reach a state of perfection. But Paul didn't know anything about that. The Bible doesn't teach anything about that. Our standing before God is in the righteousness of Christ. It never changes. But when it comes to our state of being, you can be the most dedicated, faithful Christian in this church and have miles and miles to go before you ever get exactly like Christ. And so by the first the imputed righteousness, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. Isn't that great? Saved from the penalty of sin. Never have to answer for any of the any of the sins that I've ever committed. Somebody says, oh, but I just can't forgive myself. Oh, who are you? What do you mean you can't forgive yourself? Your sin was against God. He's the one that forgives you. You don't have the power to forgive yourself. And you don't need to concern yourself with those sins of the past because they're under the blood. They're cast into the depths of the sea. God said, I've hid my face from them. I'll remember them no more. Is there anything God can't do? You say, oh yeah, nothing God can't do. Well, God can't remember your sins. He chose to not remember your sins. That's all blotted out. So I'm saved from the penalty of sin because of the imputed righteousness, but by the imparted righteousness, this breastplate that he's talking about, I'm being saved from the very power of sin over my life. But how do we put it on? How do we make that effective in our life? If it's not self-righteousness... It has to come from God. But if it's not imputed righteousness, then that means there's some responsibility on our part. And here's the answer. True righteousness of life is that which is produced by the Spirit of God in the child of God as he yields himself to the control of God's Spirit. Remember when Paul said, Be ye filled with the Spirit? That that word filled is implying to be controlled. That's a command for every single Christian. Be ye filled. Control with the Spirit of God. Not talking about getting more of the Spirit. When you're saved, you've got all of the Spirit that you're going to get, but you're not as under control as you ought to be. And it's strange that Paul doesn't say, he said, be ye filled with the Spirit. And he didn't say, here's how. He assumed that at this point, they already knew. And he really digs into that over in Romans chapter number 6. Our, our Sunday school teachers of the older classes especially, they know exactly what I'm talking about. 
And if you've been in their class, you know what I'm talking about. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. You become the, what? The servants of righteousness. It's a work that God does, does in us, but it's only, it's only as we yield ourselves to his control. That's how we put on this breastplate. It's something that we do by yielding ourselves to his control. And I want to add that, the, that this is the safest place on earth is to be in the will of God. You can't be anywhere safer. There's some dangerous places in this world, let me tell you. Places I, I wouldn't want to be. My son Jason has been involved in, in two wars, Iraq and Afghanistan. He's seen the bloody bodies of, of our, our troops. The bombs have gone off while we were talking on the phone on occasions. Dangerous. How do you sleep at night? knowing that the next bomb might be right on you. There's some dangerous places. We could go to the ghettos in some of, some of the cities and places like that, places in Houston. You better be careful. Dangerous places. But let me tell you, if you are living your life in the will of God, you couldn't be anywhere that's safer than that. That, that ought to be of interest to all of us because after all, you know, we, uh, we're all concerned about, about our safety, right? That's why we lock the doors at night, load the gun, put out the dog or whatever you might do. Remember, he says, put on the breastplate. What's he protecting? Well, the heart, the lungs, the reins, that is the kidneys, and those are terms often used in the Bible to speak about our inward, inward parts. The parts that, that are used in the Bible to speak of our emotions, our affections, our desires, our conscience. And Satan knows how we are affected in these areas. And so he brings all of his power into play to accomplish his evil purpose. And that's why your emotions, your affections, your conscience, all of that has to be protected. And the only way to be protected is for us to have on the breastplate of righteousness. It protects us in numerous ways. It protects us from being led astray. Now listen, don't misunderstand. Feelings are natural. They play a part in our Christian experience. I know we all respond different differently whenever we get saved. Some shout, scream, yell, some cry. We're all different. But I sort of agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones many years ago who wrote, he says, if we, if we have never felt anything in connection with our faith, then we do not have a true faith. You cannot really believe in this great salvation without feeling something. I kind of believe that. I know we're all different. Our makeup is different. I understand that. And you've often heard me say when I walked out of the Community Baptist Church in Wildred, Missouri way back then, 
having trusted the Lord as my Savior, it just seemed like all of the birds were singing for me, and uh, I was thinking about amazing grace. It seemed like a thousand pounds had been lifted off of my shoulders. I'd never experienced anything like that before. Never. But feelings can lead to serious problems, and Satan knows that. He can use our feelings against us. And there have been those that have been destroyed because they become subservient to their, to their feelings. They're in love with their experiences. In the first place, there's a lot of folks that are not saved who think they're saved because they've had some kind of experience, a religious experience. And let me tell you, you're not going to heaven just because you feel like you're going to heaven. That won't get you there. And so many people put so much emphasis on, on feelings, and it's easy for Satan to lead them astray. And they'll say things like, well, I can't explain it to you. You just have to experience it for yourself. And then what they teach or say about salvation is something that's totally contrary to what the Word of God says. I was listening to a song yesterday. I listened to a lot of gospel music. And this particular song had to do with, uh, I think it was, let's all go down to the river, maybe, something like that. I said, well, that, that's pretty good so far. I've baptized a lot of people in, in rivers, ponds, places like that. Not anything wrong with that, but the, the song went on to say, and when they went down there and they, they come up clean, their sin's all gone. There's something very wrong with that. Because baptism has never saved anyone. Reminds me of a true old story of a fellow that made a profession of faith in his mind anyway. He was in the Church of Christ and went forward and, and said he wanted to become a Christian and want to be baptized. And they said, well... We don't have baptism this week, and we put it on the calendar, and which they did. They're going to baptize him some point later on. And that man had to leave there that day unbaptized. And in their way of thinking, unsaved. You know what that tells me? That tells me you are depending upon some so-called preacher for your salvation, what if that guy had said, well, I, I, I got a bad back. I don't baptize people anymore. What if he had died before he found somebody that would? And you see, a lot of people depend upon these emotions, their feelings, their, their desires. But what is righteousness? Well, just the short answer is to do what is right. Righteousness is to do what we should. And when it comes to us being accepted by God, it's due to Christ who is our righteousness. But whenever it comes to, to this, it's our responsibility to God to live righteously. And that means that we have to conduct ourselves in, in the best possible way, especially as you go through and study the word righteousness in the Bible, you'll see that it's used uh, especially in regards to others the manner in which we relate to other people as well as to God in fact it is a word that's contrasted with the word wickedness you think about wickedness you don't just think about wickedness 
toward God, but wickedness usually involves what you do or don't do to somebody else, you see. And so righteousness has to do with my acts, has to do with my attitude. You don't have to punch somebody in the nose or slit their throat in order to, in order to sin against God. All you have to do is just have hatred in your heart toward them. That's all it takes. And he's telling us that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness by surrendering ourselves to him lest Satan get advantage of us in some of these ways. The conduct that God demands from us. Well, where do you find that? Oh, you find that all through the New Testament. It's very clear what God expects. Alexander McLaren said, without our guarding our hearts, noble life is impossible. And let me tell you, explain why he made that statement, because we have to consider what righteousness does for us. So, so let me give you some things. Number one, it prevents our feelings from controlling us. Those powerful emotions. In other words, it keeps us from mistreating those who mistreat us keeps us from getting angry when there's no justification for it it keeps us from that pain of feeling like we are a failure we feel like we're just such a failure or maybe it's that feeling that pride of success and righteousness will prevent those things from controlling us it also protects us from the desires that would conquer us. You see, Satan knows exactly how to entice us, and we're all different, and he knows what it takes to get your attention. And righteousness protects us from those desires. In other words, your desires would drive you to destruction without some restraint. And, and your only hope is what? that righteousness that has been imparted to you by the Lord himself. Righteousness also purifies us from the corruption of our life. It's so heartbreaking to see what's happened to many Christian people. I look back, think about people that I've known and some people I'll never forget People that at one time you could depend on, they were in church every time the doors were open, they were generous and they're given, faithful in their service. You could really count on them. And all of a sudden, the bottom fell out, the family fell apart. Horrible, terrible, tragic stories. Let me tell you something. Even as a Christian person, that could happen to any of us without the breastplate of righteousness. It's when we are living righteously, when we are living our life in the will of God, doing what pleases God, it's then that God gives us the power to resist those temptations. But then there's one other thing I want to mention about this breastplate. It provides peace rather than a condemning conscience. We'll be talking a lot about this matter of peace next week. The whole sermon will be about it, in fact. But the breastplate of righteousness 
provides peace rather than a condemning conscience. You see, if we're living a righteous life, we don't have to be troubled by that feeling of guilt. And let me tell you, whenever I've often said the most miserable people in the world are Christians, the children of God who are out of the will of God. You can be a drug addict, a drunk, an adulterer, or whatever. It doesn't bother you a bit. It's just your thing. You do it. It doesn't bother you. But the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit living within you, you better not try it then. Because believe me, the Spirit of God is going to convict your heart of your wrongdoing. Your joy unspeakable and full of glory, that'll all be gone. Oh, yeah, you're going to heaven, but right now you're going to be miserable. Have you, maybe I shouldn't ask this, but I'm going to. Have you ever had a spat with your husband or your wife on the way to church? Or maybe just before you left for church. Maybe you said something. I'm not saying that you cursed or anything like that, but you said something or you did something that was just way, way off base. Let me tell you, as a preacher, you talk about something that will give you the dry mouth and shut you up and you can't hardly speak. A guilty conscience is, is torture to anyone but for a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. It's like, Lord, please forgive me before I, before I pull in the driveway. Please forgive me. Let me tell you, the guilty conscience makes any Christian miserable. Sin robs us of our peace and our joy. Righteousness protects us because what? Well, it enables us to overcome evil with good. Isn't that amazing? That we can overcome evil with good. I couldn't do that before I was saved. There have been times in my Christian life that I haven't done that. Times in my Christian life where someone said something or did something and I responded in kind. And by that I don't mean in kindness. I mean I responded like they did but the Bible says that we're to love those that hate us and do good to those that despitefully use us and if our conscience is void of any offense toward God or man the devil remember he's the old accuser the devil has nothing to charge us with When you're living a righteous life, it protects you from getting into that state of misery to where your conscience is troubling you day and night. The Bible is very clear about the fact that righteousness is rewarded. That's a whole other story. But listen to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So in light of that, wouldn't you have to agree that the best thing that you could do for yourself would be to please God? That's the best thing you can do in your life. 
Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 13, righteousness keepeth, that means to guard or to protect. Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way. In the journey of life, as he's going down the road in the journey, it keeps him, it guards him, it protects him, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. I said a while ago, you know, people go to almost any length to either protect themselves or to prosper in life, and yet they ignore the most important thing, which what? is to live righteously, to put on that breastplate of righteousness. And it's so sad that some people seem to, to resent righteousness. And consequently, they never experience the reward from it. I'm so glad that in doing what God wants me to do and what God expects me to do, that it keeps me from a lot of difficulties and even destruction by just doing what God wants me to do. Sin's costly. Like the old saying, every preacher said it. It'll take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than what you want to pay. Sin is a horrible thing. And for us to go out into this wicked world with Satan doing everything in his power to destroy us, and to not have that breastplate of righteousness on, it's going to result in corruption and, a, and calamity in your life. You want to know what it does? Look at the condition of our, of our country. The corruption. And not just our country, but look at churches in general today. And that's because, because n n no, nobody's preaching about holiness anymore. It's all about happiness. And they've yet to discover what God taught us a long time ago, that real true happiness comes from what? From holiness. God's not trying to deprive you of fun and happiness in life. When he sets up these restrictions, he's trying to get you to understand this is the way to happiness. Just listen to me and follow me and do what I tell you to do. I'm trying to help you, not hurt you. That's what God's saying. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's your friend, not your foe. Aren't you glad that there is some protection, good, positive protection against the wiles of the devil? Otherwise, we wouldn't, we wouldn't stand a chance. We'd all be goners. Your marriage, it'd be, it'd be gone tomorrow. Your life would be a wreck. You'd be totally miserable. But when you put on that breastplate of righteousness, all of a sudden, the Lord is going to protect you from those things that otherwise would destroy you. Maybe you're here today, and you say, Preacher, I don't really understand all of what you're talking about. You don't profess to be a Christian. You might be a religious person. You might be a good neighbor. I've had some really good neighbors in the past that never had been saved. They wasn't Christian, but they were great neighbors. They'd come and they'd help. I knew a lot of guys in the bars back when I was unsaved that was like that. 
Oh, they were alcoholics, but they were really good, nice people to, as far as treating their circle of friends. And you're here today, and you're, you're not a drunk. You're not, a, you're not hooked on drugs. You don't commit adultery. You don't do any of those things. But there's never been a time in your life that you have placed your trust in Christ as your Savior and you're here today and you don't know whether or not you'd go to heaven. In fact, you pretty well know that's not where you would go. Why don't you do something about that today? That's a starting point right there. No need for you to try to put on the breastplate of righteousness because it's not possible. There is no protection from Satan for those that have never, first of all, Receive Christ as their Savior. Why don't you come this morning and we'll take the Word of God and we'll show you from the Bible how you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're saved. And maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I, I, I even, I'm faithful to the church. But I'm sure not protected by the breastplate of righteousness. I... I've just not been living a righteous life, and I, I want to get that right with God today. You don't have to confess anything to me, but you, you need to make it right with God. And it might be that you want to come, remember we used to have those old testimonies? It might be you just want to get things right with God, and then you want to tell it to the world. Whatever God's saying to you, would you come, or Brother David, the musicians come, we're going to sing an invitation song and we invite you to come. I'm going to ask uh, Brother John, Brother Rick, Brother Barry, if, if Barry feels like it. He's been very sick, but if he feels like it, to come. If he, if he doesn't feel like it, send Zach or something. But in any one of these, any one of these men, not only, not only able, but they're willing. They, they're here because they want to be of help to you. And the help that one gives you will come from the same place the help the other gives you, and that's from this blessed old book I hold in my hand. Let God help. While we stand in this, we sing. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own